the plan. Just go. Go to the sound of the guns. Go to the sound of need. And trust God to show you how you can be useful. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us for another episode. Today, you are going to hear from David Eubank. He is the founder of the Free Burma Rangers, a multi-ethnic humanitarian aid organization that operates in several countries. His story is very unique. You need to hold on to your hat for what you're about to hear. If this is the first time you're hearing of David Eubank and the Free Burma Rangers, it's an amazing story. It's a, an amazing account of God moving in situations that seem challenging, dark, and maybe even impossible. And yet we get to see this little window into God moving in acts of faith. So I think you're going to be able to walk away with a lot of good insights for you in your own walk and your own challenges around you. And I want to take this opportunity to thank David for joining us on our program. Welcome, David. Hey, thank you, Andy, and thank you, anyone who listens. Yep, I pray that anybody that's listening is going to be richly blessed by this. David, I've got to set the stage. We need to hear a little bit about your background. Can you tell us about yourself? And I, I said that you're leading this humanitarian aid organization. Uh, would you break that out a little bit more, too? Sure. Well, the Free Burma Rangers is a multi-ethnic humanitarian organization working in conflict areas where we're invited. And that's been primarily Burma or Myanmar, Iraq, Syria, Sudan. We were just out of Tajikistan trying to help the Afghans. So in a few places, and we're open to anybody of any religion, as long as you're doing this for love. And we have three rules. You have to do this for love because we don't pay the volunteers. And you have to speak, read and write in any language because we have to do good medical work and reporting. And you can't run if people can't run. And so those are the three rules you can join. So we have Muslims, atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, all kinds of people. But most of our members and leaders are Christian. And I myself am someone who tries to follow Jesus. And that's the reason I started this organization. So anybody can join, but we're going to pray in Jesus name, at least I am. And all the senior leadership are believers. And so, but we welcome anybody. And like in, in parts of Burma and some ethnic areas we work, there's no Christians there. And so people say, Hey, can we join and help our people? Yeah, man, as long as you're doing it for love, you can join. And then we have an opportunity to share why we're doing it and to share what Jesus has done for us. But it's up to them whether they choose to follow Jesus or not. But that's my prayer underneath all the humanitarian work. For me, without a relationship with Jesus, it's just a temporary fix. Yeah, well, following Lord is the, it's the only eternal value. So there's temporal values. God made the world and called it good. We need food. We need comfort. So we need all kinds of stuff. We need to, some of us need to ski and parachute and all that. We get to do that. That's fun. But without God, it doesn't mean a lot, and it certainly will not last. So we're doing this, number one, because we feel this is where God has us. It's our part of God's kingdom. 
Number two, that's spiritual. Number two, intellectually, because oppression's wrong. And if it's in front of you, it's in front of you. You can see it. You need to do something. And number three, emotional. We love these people that we serve. They love us. Often, you know, they love us first, which is kind of embarrassing, but they love us first. And then the last one is because we, I like, I think it's exciting to run around war zones. That's, that's the physical part. And, but I want to keep it in this, in this order, spiritual first, intellectual and emotional next and spirit and physical last. It has right. to follow and serve God and serve the intellect and serve the emotion. So we're a relief organization working in conflict areas. And our main job is to help people. That's mostly humanitarian help and get the news out. So help the people get the news out. But all through that is sharing about our wonderful God who sent his son Jesus to save us. And you can call on his name and he's going to help you. So that's what we, doesn't matter. I just came out of Syria and we just rebuilt a church in Raqqa, which is the capital of ISIS that ISIS had destroyed. And when at the church dedication, there was Muslims, atheists, agnostics, very few Christians because most were dead or ran away. But there they were, the whole room full of people. And we had a chance to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. They were there with us. They, they didn't say, oh, we don't want to hear about Christians. And I think the reason people listen to you is because they know if you love them or not. And then when there's a war and villages are getting blown up and people getting shot, if you go with them, the people are going to listen to you. They're like, oh, you don't want anything from us. You're not trying to take something. You're ready to die, man. You really care about us. We must count. So, you know, so our main work is help people and get the news out. And for me, that's in Jesus' name. Well, and in your work, you're very explicit in that. I've seen footage of a lot of what you guys are doing, and you're all about praying. You're sharing. And in your work, you have seen souls saved. You been an active witness. People have to wrestle with the fact, I hear this from people that have encountered you, from indigenous people who have encountered you, they're like, what is this guy doing here? And they're forced to wrestle with this, but you're a living, breathing example of service, faith, and action. But they realize because you're sharing prayers, you're talking in Jesus's name, what a powerful witness in these dark areas. So it really is an impressive work to observe. So This is the work that you're doing now. Obviously, there were several steps to get you into these situations. Could you just tell us a little bit about your childhood? What was that like? Well, I was born in Texas, and which is a a wonderful country of its own, or was. (laughs) And when I was nine months old, my dad was fought in the Korean War, and then he went into oil business. My mom was a, a Broadway singer, an actress. They both left those professions, oil and acting to follow Jesus in a different way. You know, you can follow Jesus on Broadway and in the military and in the old business, anything, because it's God's kingdom needs people everywhere. But for my mom and dad, they felt to fully serve him in the way that God wanted them to serve. They left those professions and became missionaries. So they took me when I was nine months old to Thailand. And I was just with my mom and dad last night. They're still here. My dad's 91, my mom's Mm -hmm. 89, and they haven't stopped. So I grew up in Thailand which was a pretty developing, primitive country then. It's, it's pretty modern now, but I used to ride my horse to school. I had a 22 rifle over my shoulder. I'd ride downtown, you know, downtown, the second biggest city, and shoot squirrels out of trees and hunt monkeys. And that's changed a bit now. Mm-hmm. But I grew up on horses with monkeys and the baby bear as a pet and living in and out of the jungle. And it was a great life. And then I I got an Army ROTC scholarship, and I went to Texas A&M University, where I was commissioned as a U.S. Army officer upon graduation. 
And then I spent 10 years in the infantry in a reconnaissance unit down in Panama, and then in the second Ranger Battalion as a platoon leader, and then as a detachment or A-team commander in, in the Green Berets or Special Forces. That's what I did at the end. And after about 10 years, I felt a call from God, get out. And I got out and I went to Fuller Seminary and got a Master's of Divinity. I was ordained there. And in the middle of that, I met my wife, Karen. And we, right in the middle of meeting her, we got an invitation from a tribe in Burma called the Wa. This is back in 1993 now. So 28 years ago or so. 1993, this Wa tribe in Burma contacted my parents who were in Thailand. Burma's right next to Thailand and said, please come and help us and send your son. So my dad contacted me. I prayed and felt I should go. And my wife and I were married on the beach in Malibu, California, because I was down there doing seminary. And then we went straight to Burma in 93. We had to go extra legally because we're, you know, Burma's a 72-year civil war. And if you're going to go help the ethnic minorities that the dictators are beating up on, they're not going to let you in. So you have to find ways cross borders on foot, on vehicle, usually it's on foot, on a boat, whatever. So we went extra legally into Burma through another ethnic area. And that was 1993. And that's how we started. And then step by step, we grew slowly. We started something called the Day of Prayer for Burma in 96. And then the Free Burma Rangers, that name we started in 97. And it was both were responses to people asking us for prayer for Burma and for help. Wow. As I listen to all of this, and of course, there's a whole lot more built into that accounts. But we often hear, and I think it's accurate, that if we truly follow Christ in our lives, that following Christ is an adventure. But I think in your experience, it's it's truly been like a world-class adventure. But when we think of adventure as Christians, and especially as Christians looking into unknown, unfamiliar circumstances or changing circumstances or even frightening situations— how do you think we can adopt that mindset of adventure? Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, well, you know, I like what the hobbits, Lord of the Rings, the hobbits said about adventure. Dirty, nasty things make you late for dinner. <laughs> real adventures is you don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of fake adventures out there where you got to kind of under control. That's not adventure. Adventure is you really don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, in almost any major expedition, uh, I'm a climber. Climbing is that's automatically an adventure and it becomes a really big adventure. There's an accident, something you didn't plan. And so I have found this to be true for me. God gives me what I need when I surrender everything to Him and way beyond what I could have imagined. Hmm. And, you know, we're all different. So one person's need of adventure or this or that will be different than someone else, but you're going to get more than you bargained for because you can't outgive God. And so for, for me, yeah, it's been, I mean, pretty constant. Even like when we were in Burma, you know, we were in Burma 28 years. And then about seven years ago, we were invited to go help in the Middle East. Well, how did that happen? And this is a type of adventure. I was in Burma walking for two months, weaving my way in and out of the Burma army area, avoiding getting shot by them, helping the people they were attacking pretty deep into Burma. But actually towards the second month, I came up near an international border of another country. But you couldn't cross that border, one, because the border guards were there from that country. But second, because the Burma army was thick along that border and they were looking for me. And so there's no way. And so I thought, well, that's no big deal. I'll just turn around and walk another month back the other way till I get you know, back in an area that's thinner. Then I'll cross the border. And that's, that, we do that all the time. We got three, four months we can walk. 
But I got this, we have a little backpack satellite system we carry everywhere because I, I do have to do my emails and just like you, our communications with um, our teams that are in the field. We have 100 plus teams in Burma scattered all over Burma. We have a team in Iraq, we have a team in Syria. We've got partners in Sudan and Tajikistan to help the Afghans. So we've got people, plus there's donors and prayer supporters. And so I'm on email constant. So when you're in the jungle, you can't be constant. But what you do do is, open your backpack, set up a little like Bible-sized satellite transceiver, and then open your laptop, connect it, and you send messages out and you bring messages in. You don't surf the net, but you get a whole load of emails in. Then you turn off it, turn it off, answer them all, and then turn the satellite back on and send it. It's expensive. Well, I do that every day. And so it was in, in 2015, in early February, I get this message by satellite. And I'm in Burma. I got the Burma army all around me. It's going to take me another month to walk back and get past them to get to this other country to get back to Thailand. And I get this email from a guy named Victor Marks, who's a wonderful friend. He has a ministry called All Things Possible, mostly reaching out to troubled teens, but also does a lot of counseling. And he said, Dave, I've been invited to Iraq to counsel Yazidi women who were captured and made sex slaves by ISIS and they escaped. And so I'm going to go take a team to go do that. And they're in a safe place now, but there's a war going on. And you're needed because you're the kind of organization that goes to the sound of the guns and you don't have rules about safety and what you can and can't do. You'll go and they need you. I've got permission for you to come. I'll buy your ticket. Please come and see if that's what God wants you to do. Be here in seven days, hmm. seven days. It will take me, as I calculate, at least 19 walking 20 to 30 miles a day to move south, go around the thick part of the army, come back to the international border, find a way to cross it, not get arrested. And then five more days to get back to Thailand. So that's like, 24 days at the fastest, almost a month. But I prayed and with my team, my wife and my kids are there because my kids have grown up doing this. My son was three weeks old when he was first carried across the border. And so we're just, you know, we're no different than the American pioneers who went West as the whole family. And I got my ethnic team leaders and I read this message and we all prayed and we said, yeah, that's easy. It's impossible. So that means if, if something happens, you're supposed to go. The next morning, we're sleeping on the side of a mountain at about 4,000 feet up in the northern Burma. The next morning, I get this message from the resistance leaders operating in our area. Those are our, our allies. It said, you're not going to believe this. The three Burma Army battalions, over 1,000 men that were between you and the border and trying to catch you, they're gone. They've gone south to pick up your old trail. They're trying to follow you, but they're way behind you now. And there's an open gap between you and this international border. Go. We're like, really? So we took off walked about 30 miles a day, which just takes a long time in the mountains where we're at. There's not nice trails or anything. All our gear, everything. I think, you know, Pete was probably eight or nine then, and but he's been walking forever since then, carrying all his gear. We get to the international border. There's no guards. That does not happen. There's no guards. We go across. We're in another country, heading towards the airport. We're on day five and got to be there in seven days. We're on day five. Our driver falls asleep, flips the truck that we're in wrecks it. We're on the side of the road on our side. Nobody's hurt. Cars total. We get out. We're in the wrong part of this country. No one's supposed to be there. A bus pulls up. We get on the bus. People act like they don't even see us. We get to the airport. Now there's authorities looking for us, but the computers in the airport die. True story. And the officials who normally see you have to wait, say, get on the plane. Next thing you know, I'm back in Thailand. And on day seven, I'm in Iraq. And so that's an example of one adventure the only control I had over it was to pray and say yes or no. And in our yeah. case, we said yes. But God opened those doors. We couldn't make the Burmari move out of the way. 
we couldn't make the border guards people not be there. And then we had, you know, like in a, in a Christian life, most of the time, you also have your part. Our part was to pray and obey. And our other part was to walk. We still had to walk 20, 30 miles a day with backpack. That doesn't just happen by itself. You've got to stay fit. So it's kind of like, I think, a surgeon. When a surgeon prays for Jesus' help, he needs a supernatural help. And Jesus doesn't really need him at all, but usually he uses them. He usually uses that skill that's practice. It's not just some guy who picks up a scalpel and goes, hey, I'm going to cut this heart. And so it, that's kind of the mystery to me of following our Lord. On one hand, I can't really do much with him. But on the other hand, he tells me, Dave, you know how to navigate. Get on with it. <laughs> like, you got your part too. Right. And so I'm not always sure where the line is between our effort and God's work. But I do know I want all my effort subordinated to him so that it's one useful. And so that when I come up against an impossible obstacle, he'll get me through it. I love the picture that you painted uh, a little bit of an adventure that we are called into, that we get to play a role in, that God allows us to play a role in. What an honor. But to some of our listeners, I'm sure they're racking their brains thinking through all of this. But I think you and I would agree that God calls us in our own ways. We're wired in certain ways. We're passionate about certain things where we have skills and strengths that others do not. And so we get to play this small part in what the global body, the church, is doing around the world. Uh, one time, I heard you say something along these lines, and it was, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because the world needs people who come alive. You may have been referencing somebody else, somebody else may have said that, but I thought that, I, that stood with me, and I think it relates to this, this idea. How would you unpack that? Yeah, I heard that from somebody else who was quoting somebody else. So whoever that was that said that, thank you. It's a great insight. And don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because the world needs people who've come alive. And I think what that means is first is, God, what do you want me to do? And this is what I love. But I'm going to take what I love and all my reasons I love it, the good and noble reasons, as well as the selfish, possibly wrong reasons I love it, and put it all on your altar, all my agendas, all my dreams, all my hopes, and put it on your altar. And I, and this is also, I think, what the world needs. I'm going to put all that up there. What do you want me to do? And, you know, it's, it, I think it's a very personal communication and endeavor with our Lord. No one can tell you what the right answer is except God himself in your spirit. But we communicate by spirit. And so it's just like, you know, when people say, God told me this, God told me that. For me, maybe for others, they hear audible voices. But for me, I have heard a couple audible voices, I don't know, maybe four times, five times in my life. Most of the time, it's not that. Most of the time, it's like a thought or a, a deep peace or a, a feeling that I, I just know, especially when I vet it, when I check it with, is this, is this comfort talking? Is this pride talking? Is this fear or greed? No, it's none of those things. It's submission to the Lord, and the Lord has something he wants done. And so it's very subtle, but it's, it, but it's, but it's powerful enough to keep you going. So anyway, I think for me, you ask, what do I love, Lord? And then put that up on the altar and said, I will not do that unless you give it to me and see if he gives it back to you. And if he does go with, with all your might mm -hmm. and don't worry what others think, that's not what you should be doing to serve the Lord. You should be a preacher. You should be this. You should be that. No, to serve the Lord. You should do what he wants you to do and what he made you to do. And so for me, I was a soldier and I still like being a soldier. And in a way, I get to kind of be one, but I'm serving him. And so every mission we go on, we offer up our own desires. We offer up the mission itself and say, Lord, we really feel you called us to do this, but 
it's not too late. We will stop. We will not go if you don't want us to go. Mm. And then when he releases you to go, when he puts you on the track that, that he has for you, for me, I usually love it. I don't get tired. This is probably not that useful, but I just, just to, to be honest, to give it a, an honest example, when I was in the Battle of Mosul um, in 2017, we were with the Iraqi army and, and ISIS was fighting us and we lost lots of people. I was wounded four times. One of my, my close teammates was killed. Four of our guys were wounded. I lost over 30 friends. I mean, there were thousands killed. It was just brutal. I never really got tired. I didn't get tired. I didn't get tired of it. I was constantly revved up because that's kind of what I was made for. Yeah. But then when I go to, this, go to the States, I love going to America. The best thing about America is the church, is the Christian church. It's unbelievable. And the second best thing, this is just my opinions, is the natural beauty of the place. And then way after that system of government, <laughs> because, you know, governments can do all kinds of things, but that's what I love. And so when I go, I really love sharing what Jesus has done, but you know, it makes me tired. It makes me tired. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm not a big speaker. That's thank God, Lord. I don't have to do that all the time because I would get really tired. And I realized, okay, I can do it. I enjoy doing it. I, I'm so grateful to people who support us. And I want to see them. But that, thank God, is not what he calls me to do most of the time. There's people like Billy Graham. There's all kinds of you know Christian actors and speakers. Francis Chan, who speaks so well. Todd Pierce, Victor Marks, I, they, they speak well and they like it and they don't really get tired. I'm sure they get a little tired, but they're made to do that. So I'm just saying that example to say, I feel for myself, I'm made to be in the field and respond to the field. And I don't, I don't really ever get tired of it. But when I start doing something that I'm not that good at, or I'm not designed for, I can do it as long as God sustains me and has me doing it. But the moment I'm trying to do it in my strength, I'll fail. Yeah. And so I, I think all of us have that. We, we have things that God wants us to do. We don't love them. He doesn't usually ask you to do those very long, <laughs> but you got to yeah. do some of them. And then there's the other things that, I'll, hey, you're made for this. Go for it. Just to pivot a little bit on that quote, I would say because the church needs people who come alive and you come alive in your wheelhouse. You're energized when you're operating in that zone where you're equipped, passionate and strong. And that's true of all of us. Like you said, you got to find where God has naturally planted you, how he's uh, equipped you, how he's uh, engineered your passions and insights and abilities. Yeah, when you get outside that, and we will have to do things outside that from time to time, it can be a bit draining. But yeah, I think that's just really helpful for people to get oriented to how they can start taking baby steps of action in areas that they're already passionate about. Just to look at the opportunities to pray and to pray for opportunities uh, to help, to assist, to step. And then when those do reveal themselves, like you said, if they come back to you to go forward and, and just get started. I like your accounts, David, because you are describing your acts in these different situations, these different nations around the world, conflict zones, war zones, and yet you're able to just zero in on what does God want me to do? How do I be faithful in this situation right now? I don't have it all figured out. I don't have the end game. It's an adventure, so I don't always know how this is going to end or if this is going to be pleasant. But how do I be faithful in this moment? But anybody that has served in a war zone, anybody that has served in the frontiers of some of the countries where you've been operating gets a frank and direct look at some of the seedier side of humanity. Honestly, 
I think you get to look straight at evil. Evil is real. I think that as Christians, especially Christians that may have been living in areas where they could duck this a little bit, it wasn't in their face, I think we need to know that and just get a bearing on our situation and realize that this is the world that we're in, that we're in a fallen world. And especially to many of the lost around us, they may refute this. They may argue that everything's relative, that there is no such thing as real evil, but I think evil is real. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think it's real. And one of the most evil entities is Satan, who is a liar from the beginning and wants to destroy us. And then we have our own choices too. And I like what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. He said the line of, he was the Russian dissident who stood against communism. And he said, the line of good and evil is between nations or states or groups of people. It's between each human heart. And so I have to choose every day, which side am I on? And that's the line in my own heart. But when you start choosing evil in your own heart, day after day after day after day, you can become, I think, maybe not all evil, but mostly evil. You know, I, I like also what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. that He said that about the line of evil is in my own heart. It's not them, they're bad, I'm good. It's in my heart. But he says something else. He said, even in the most evil person, there's a shred of an opportunity of doing something good and changing. And even in the best person, there's that shred of opportunity of making a big mistake and sinning. And, you know, we've seen that. We've seen wonderful pastors and speakers who have an affair. And like, wow, this guy's wonderful. He is wonderful. He's not a fake at all. He's real. He leads people to the Lord. He says great things. He's talented. He sacrificed everything. That doesn't mean he can't sin, though, and wreck things. At the same time, even Hitler, Hitler loved his dog. Well, that's a virtue. Hitler loved his, his soldiers. That's also a virtue. So it means he wasn't completely evil. There were some little shreds of goodness in there somewhere. But the majority of our life, we have to choose which side we're going to go. I believe that it's not just our choices. I believe there's the demonic out there. There's a spiritual unseen realm that you need Jesus' power to fight. You can't fight on your own. And whether that's, you know, a sin inside your heart, you need Jesus to get rid of, or whether it's sin inside others like ISIS that are choosing to torture and slaughter people or the German Nazi army or the Japanese Imperial Army or the Taliban or any group that's just committed itself to evil. When you face those people, you're not going to scare them. You're not going to argue them out of position. No way. They're, they're totally committed. I, I like what Amy Carmichael said. She's a, a missionary in India in the 30s, she said, while we're counting the costs, Satan is buying up the territory. It's a battle in this world, good and evil. And Jesus talked about the prince of this world, and he meant Satan. Now, he's not going to win. Our Lord is going to win, but it's still a battle. And John the Baptist had his head cut off while Jesus was on this earth, which is kind of strange to me. Like, God, how'd you let that happen? He was right in the middle of God's will, and that happened. Yep. Yeah. So, so it also means evil gets a vote. Evil gets, God lets evil happen. You know, there's the Ten Commandments. I don't follow all of them. That means I'm, at least at one level, I'm breaking God's will. Now, at a higher level, I can't because he's the supreme God. But at a small level, I can. I can tell a lie. I can shoot somebody. God said, don't do it. And I do it. It means I broke his will. But he allows us to do that. And I think it's because of love and freedom, which are, I think you can't separate those two. And so God gives us the freedom to love him or not, to love each other or not, to sin or not. And he gave the angels freedom. And one of them named Satan went the other way. And so I don't blame things on Satan because I have a choice, but he can certainly influence me. 
And if I get lost long enough without Jesus, he can control me. I believe that him and his demons. So I feel that I face pure evil. I remember that one of the guys who shot me point blank, ISIS came around the corner in the Battle of Mosul. This was May the 18th, 2017. Shot my friend six times, shot me in the arm. There were three of them and they were seven yards away and they closed to four yards. So point blank shooting with AKs. And I remember I looked up at this guy, the middle guy's face and he was laughing and he was laughing and yelling. I couldn't hear the words, but I could see his mouth. Alu Akbar, God is great. He was enjoying it. He was so happy to kill me. And it was just pure evil. I didn't, and he didn't kill me. I fought back in that case. And I believe God helped me. But I remember another time where we were in a pretty bad situation and ISIS was shooting us up. And I turned and I looked and there was the ISIS guy 20 yards from me. But that's close. That's pretty close. You can look in someone's eyes at 20 yards. You can try that in daylight. I'm looking at his eyes and the hate he had for me, he didn't even know me was of an intensity I'd never felt. And then, and I can't prove this, just what I felt. It was like a power of freight train behind him was sheer evil just slammed into me. Not a bullet, evil, hate. I thought, wow, there's something more going on than just human evil with that guy. And so I think when you face that kind of evil, the only way not to be completely destroyed by it is to stay close to Jesus and put on full armor. And maybe there are times when Christians even have to physically fight. I believe actually there are, but that has to be in God's way and time, and it can't be of hate. But whether if you do fight, you're not going to change their heart. You don't change a heart with a bullet. You might stop it because there's no other way. The only way you change a heart is with love. But your own heart, if you don't have love in your heart, if you're just operating on your own free will and you're you know, you're the bunch of evil people, you're going to get tainted by that. I've experienced that. And Jesus was saved me from that. And so when you're facing pure evil, there may be times you have to physically fight it. Well, you really need the Lord cleaning your heart every day so you don't become like the people you're fighting. Right. At the same time, you need the Lord's physical help and spiritual help. And you need love coming through so that even though when we fought ISIS and we fought them a few times, I mean, that wasn't my job to fight. Our job was giving out relief supplies, but they just came at us. And I could have just put my hands up and got killed. They weren't taking any prisoners anyways, but, but I didn't feel that's what God wanted me to do. I can't prove I was right, but I remember I, I prayed that God help me. And I fought, but even when it's over, I prayed for them. I prayed for them. And like I went, was getting ready to go to help the people in Afghanistan a few months ago. And one of my friends, one of our chaplains sent me this email. I said, Dave, remember, pray for the Taliban, pray for your enemy. That's how you protect your own heart because all of us are sinners and you're going to go do battle with the Lord, for the Lord, you're still a little human sinner. God is God, you're not. And you can easily be twisted in the name of doing something good because the evil is stronger than you. I'll just close up with this on that, on that topic. I was once at a prayer meeting in Thailand next to Burma and this lady said, I, I see a vision and I want to tell it to you all. It's, it's like a group, a group of about 30 missionaries. I see Burma and over Burma is this evil, dark, cloud as i look at the cloud it's not a cloud it's a being it's a huge demon like ugly horrible scary and it's looking down it doesn't care whether the burma army wins the dictators win the ethnics win the democracy people win the christians win doesn't care it wants them all to die doesn't care who kills who may they hate and kill each other it just wants blood and then she said and the burman people who are mostly buddhist are looking up at it and i see their faces and they're not afraid they don't see what i see they're not afraid of it it presents a different face to them. 
Now, and she said, that's what's really insidious and difficult about it because they think, oh, there's nothing, it's all normal. It's not normal. It's going to influence you to kill each other. And then she said, but in the midst of that darkness, all these little spots of light all over Burma. And I asked God, what are those? And he said, that's the church. And then I saw a white horse and a white rider on the border. God, what's that? That's the Holy Spirit moving in and out of Burma. So that was the vision. And But it really spoke to me is that, yeah, evil wants us to all destroy each other. So when I think about America right now, there's nothing Satan would like more than the Democrats to kill the Republicans and vice versa. And the Christians to kill the atheist agnostics and vice versa. And I, that is just operating in Satan's world. And so what I, what I believe is we do not have an option. We're commanded by God to love everyone. We're commanded by God to respect everyone. And so if you face someone, let's say you disagree with they're let's say they're, you don't agree with abortion and they're an abortionist. You don't agree with doing sex change operations. They're transgender and they're going to run for office or they're trying to put this law into place that affects how you live. I don't think you have an option, but to love them and respect them. However, as you listen to God, you also can stand against what they're trying to do, not against them as humans, but against what they're trying to do. And I think you can stand up against abortion and say, with all my heart, I believe it's wrong and I will vote every chance I get to overturn this. At the same time, you can look at someone who does an abortion and say, I'm no better than you, man. I'm saved by God's grace. I want to be your friend. I don't agree at all, but I don't, I respect you. You and me aren't God. God is God. And I'm going to try to love you. Please try to love me. I think you can do that. Now, some people refuse it and, and kind of try to kill you or mock you. Okay, that's up to them. But for my own heart's sake, I don't want to hate them, although I'm very tempted to. And because in the end, only God is God. And so and he'll tell you which battles to fight. You know, often, Andy, I fought battles. God didn't tell me to fight because I was so sure they're right. And maybe I was right, but he didn't tell me to fight them. Well, I'm going to lose and just make trouble. And so I think us as believers, you know, say in America, we have many very important political issues now and social issues and moral issues. If God tells you to fight, you've got to go do it, man. If you lose everything, you've got to do it. But do it with love and do not get in a fight God until you get in, no matter how right you are, because you're going to need his help. Because if you don't, you may or may not be effective in bringing that change. But without God, your heart's going to change and it won't be pretty. You're going to become like your enemies. And now my own experience is that Jesus cleanses me, sets me straight, and helps me engage in the kind of battles in his way that he wants me to and protects my soul. We will return to the podcast momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at ChristianEmergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree that when you look at many the United States, many other nations around the world, you do see what appears to be a spirit of division, of distrust, of deception being poured out, almost like they're small creatures in a bag being shaken, that they're being prompted to fight and shred and attack. And even friends, there is a spiritual dynamic to all of that that we need to be aware of. And in fact, let's let's dial back that lens a little bit and just look at the church. That's going on in the church. We're being prompted to fight and stand, and we do. There's a. There's also, I think, God moving in that as well. There's a the wheat being separated from the chaff in in some respects, and we have to stand for biblical truth, and that playing out right now too. But we do need to pray for discernment that we can clearly see what's going on and not fall uh, for some of these tricks that the enemy is deploying against the church. I appreciate what you said about evil, and even describing some as pure evil. I think that we as Christians need to know that. We need to think through it right now. Maybe that sounds like an alien concept to you, besides maybe some news headlines that you've read. But there really is evil in the world, and if we could just accept that and realize that reality, then you're going to be less frustrated tomorrow if you encounter it personally. You're going to be less frustrated. You're going to be more prepared to react in a biblical manner, a manner that would be pleasing to God and faithful, so that is the world that we're living in, and I'm, I believe that there's a very high prospect that evil only increases in the days to come. And also David was talking about loving your enemies. We can read that in the Bible. Uh, we can think of it as an axiom. We can think of it as a, a truth, a, a proverb that we want to apply in our lives. But when it becomes real, when you have real enemies, maybe those real enemies have done real damage David was describing losing friends, uh, being physically hurt himself. Because I'm familiar with your ministry, David, I know all the trauma, the human carnage that you have put your eyes on. And even at times where it's almost to the breaking point, where you're almost beyond the capacity to love. And at times you just have to turn it over to God because we recognize that it's a command from him. And supernaturally he has to do it because we in our strength cannot but that is so key for us as well to really wrap our minds around that we have to love even those who hate us and not cave to hating ourselves because it will it it will turn into a cancer inside our own souls our own churches but really really solid points that you raised Dave you touched on this briefly in what you're talking about when you were describing you were talking more about your work in Burma and you've been there for over 20 years so you have a lot invested in those people. Uh, you have shined the light of Christ in so many corners of Burma. We don't hear as much about Burma or the, the church in Burma as I wish we did. Would you be able to provide us a quick update on what is going on with the Christians in Burma right now? Yeah, well, everybody who the dictator, who stands against the dictators or just stands for any kind of sanity and freedom is attacked right now by the dictators. And the churches are singled out because their ultimate loyalty is to God. And most governments don't want something higher than them. And dictators, certainly not. So up right now, uh, many pastors have been killed. There was a pastor just burned alive in Chin State, actually two of them. And then one was just yesterday captured and killed. And I just got a report from one of my teams. There's churches destroyed. And the church is, is still active, though all over the ethnic areas. Some ethnic groups like the Kachin in the northern part of Burma, they're 90% Christian. The Chin in northwestern Burma are 90% Christian. 
the Karen in Eastern Burma are about, in the mountains, they're about half Christian. In the plains, they're less. But there's all kinds of groups. There are many Christians here. In fact, it goes back. You know, the first missionary ever to leave America, ever, to go overseas is a guy named Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne. They left America in eight, around 1812, 1813. This is the, and actually he was captured in the War of 1812 by the British. And that's a whole nother story, but finally got released. And um, goes as a missionary, the first American ever to go overseas as a missionary to India. They weren't allowed to land. A storm came up on the way to Malaysia. They got blown into Burma. Talking about Americans, Americans have a very long history with Burma. That was our first mission field. It wasn't planned by man, but it's what God had. And Adonai Judson worked there and others followed him. And very few ethnic Burmans became Christian, but many ethnic tribal people, minority groups. You know, Burma is about 60% Burman and about 40% tribal. And there's like 100 different tribes, literally 112 different tribes. One of the tribes is the Karen, spelled like Karen. They said, oh, they were some of the first believers. They said, we have a legend that God made the world saved us from Satan and gave us the book of life. And one day the Messiah will come and then he'll take us to heaven after all that. And we're in the middle of time now. And then we lost our book because we got proud and, and ran away from God and became controlled by Satan. But we believe that one day the younger white brother, because they look at themselves as the older brother, you know, most racial groups in their histories, they're kind of superior to everybody else. It's no different whether you're brown, black or white. So these are brown Asian people. And in their, their history, they're the, they're the superior ones. But their younger brother, that's us, they still have the book and they're going to bring it to them. So in the 1800s, when the missionaries from America went to Burma, the Karen were a very willing audience. Said, this fits our legends. And we look at this. And the very first convert was a man named Kota Biu. And he was Karen. He was a murderer. And for all his crimes, he was sold into slavery. And the missionaries bought him and set him free. And he said, I don't know where to go. But as he read the Bible, he said, would Jesus forgive anyone for murder? Oh, yes. I've murdered 55 people. Oh, he'd forgive you. I enjoyed murdering each one. Are you sorry you did it? Now I am. Well, then he'll forgive you. Really? That's the best news I've ever heard. And he became a follower of Jesus and were one of the greatest evangelists in Burma in the 1800s. And then from him came many more. So the church grew all over Burma, especially among the ethnic people. But now it's under great pressure because of the tax of the dictators. They need prayer. They need prayer to hold on. I pray that the dictators' hearts change or they step down. But we're in the middle of a, 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 a spiritual and physical battle in Burma right now. It's a full-on civil war all over Burma now. So, And our, our job is mostly in the ethnic areas in the mountains, but all over. We have 13 different ethnic groups you know, making up about 100 teams. So we're in every fighting area of Burma, usually moving on foot. And trying to give help, that's get food and medical supplies in, give people hope, remind them that God loves them and sent Jesus. They can call on his name. They'll love them. We have nothing else. We love them and stand with them and to get the news out. Thank you very much for that insight and overview of uh, the church in Burma. One of the things that I find interesting is that for much of your work, your family is there working with you. You're modeling uh, your service in these different circumstances and settings. But it would be challenging. It is challenging to, you know, some Christians around the world that would be familiar with that, that your kids have been working in Burma to help these people that are struggling. They have been working in Iraq or Syria. Um, I, I think you mentioned before that 
your daughter when she was younger uh, kind of exclaim, you know what, Dad, we're not just a family, but we're a team, which is kind of cool just to think about our families as teams like that that get to be deployed for God's good purposes, but also that your the presence of your family has had a profound effect on your work because there are families that are hurting. There are kids that are hurting in those areas that some of the people that have received you have recognized, wow, you've brought your family you must really care. You, you touched on that a little bit before. You don't have much to gain here. You have a lot of skin in this game. You're here with us, and uh, you're struggling with us. The reason I bring this up is I'd just be curious if you wanted to elaborate a little bit about that. But also, we many of us live in cultures where safety is almost idolized, where, and children can even be idolized. Many good things can be idolized, and we have to be aware of that potential but what you're doing with your family is a little counter to that. It's a check on that. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit on those points? Yeah, I'll just start with the worshiping your children. And I never understood what that meant until I had kids of my own. And then I realized, wow, I love them so much. And I think every parent will relate to this. You love them so much. You just can't think of something bad happening to them. And you want the best for them. It's love. But you can cross that line where you're so fragile because your kids are so important that nothing bad can ever happen or wrong can ever happen unless it just wrecks your whole world. Well, when you hit that point, that's not healthy and it's not realistic because one day, one of you is going to leave. You know, you're going to die, one of you, and eventually both of you are. So it's foolishness to think you're going to hang on to this. And second, okay, you had sex with your wife or with your husband and so you had this baby, but that's about the only control you had over that. This life comes from God and it's going to go back to God. So I have to remind myself of that, that my kids really belong to God. And the best thing I can do is point them to Jesus. I don't have a ton of control. And so well, I'm just saying this, Andy, to say I am myself guilty of idolizing my kids and, and, and not wanting anything to happen. I think that's it's that, it's that tension of love and trying to be a good parent. And, and then forgetting that they belong to God and, and, and that it's going to be okay. You know, I remember in Fuller Seminary, my first day in seminary, the professor said, you can live well with sorrow. You can't live well with shame. Sorrow is all about love. And we're, we, you know, if you have kids or you have parents, they're going to have sorrow. We have friends, you're going to have sorrow. You know, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to get sick. They're going to get killed. They're going to get cheated. They're going to get unfairly treated. That's all going to hurt. But that's not shame. Jesus comes to take our shame away, but he generally doesn't really take our sorrow. He shares our sorrow. He helps us share each other's sorrow. And it's okay because it's about love. And in heaven, it's going to be okay. And we can endure it. You can lose a family member and still love the other family members. You can lose a family member and still laugh one day, but shame is, is, will destroy you. So anyways, with our kids, the reason we take our kids is because we love them. We want to be with them. And we're in the field constantly. And everywhere we go, there's kids like you touched on. You know, war is not a video game. There's people in every war. This between people. And so in every war zone I've been in, with, there's a lot more wives, women, and kids than there are soldiers. And they're everywhere. And they belong to somebody. And people care about them. And so when we bring ours, one, we get to be with them, which we love and they love. Second, the people there go, oh, you must not want anything from us. You must think God has made all people equal because you brought your kids too. Or like the Kurdish leader said, you brought your son, your most precious thing. I give you my most precious thing, my country. And we do it also, we, we do it mostly because we love each other. We want to be together. That's the bottom line. We just want to, we like being together. That's why we had kids. 
But second, we the benefit is they get to experience other cultures, other ways of life, and not be rocked by just about anything. And my daughters are driving armored ambulances at age 14 and 16 in the Battle of Mosul, handling wounded and dead people. They didn't flip out. I remember when they were really small in Burma, there was a firefight and we brought the wounded back. And my kids were, I think, like three and five and nine or something. And it's, you know, bloody and it's kind of gross looking. And, and we were bandaging the people up and the kids were small. And I said, hey, kids, why don't you come over here and pray for this guy? You could do that. And they're like, oh, I guess we could. You could pray for him. Just touch him over here. This part's not wounded. Just touch him and pray. So they came up and prayed their own ways. And that, it kind of like demystified it all. Yeah. And then later on, actually that same year, so the kids were quite small. There was a, we were about four or five guys that were trying to clear landmines. They got, their, they got their hands blown off and they got their faces blown off. So their faces were hideous, gaping holes where their nose and mouth was. No eyes, just sockets, scarred flesh, no hands, just stubs at their forearms. And they were pretty much recovered. They were in a clinic in the jungle. They're pretty recovered, but they're just there. And I went in and I was praying with them and, and my kids were there. And I said, hey, kids, go and hug these guys. And I looked and saw the look on my kids' faces. I mean, they're awesome kids. They're going to obey me. I know that. But they flinch. You know how your kids give you that little look like they're not happy sure. <laughs> with what you just asked them to do? They gave that like, we don't want to do it look. But we're good little soldiers. We'll do it. And I saw that look. And I just stopped and said, hey, kids, I know it's hard to look at, but what if that was me? I've also tried to clear landmines. I've also tried to help people. That could be your daddy there with no face and no hands. If I was badly wounded in another part of the country, would you want anyone to even care about me and touch me? Wouldn't you want someone to come pray for me? And their tears came to their eyes and they said, no, daddy, we would want someone to touch you. We're going to go hug these guys. I started crying. Yeah. They went up and they hugged these guys. And the first guy they hugged flinched because no one had touched him in that way. And then as he put his stubs and rubbed their heads with his stubs, he couldn't see. He has tear ducts still work and tears came down his face. And I thought, wow, that's love. And so, you know, our kids are normal kids. They fight amongst themselves. They do naughty things. But they've learned that people are just people and that God can do anything. And they've learned to trust God. And they've learned that trusting God doesn't mean everything goes your way. Like you're talking about John the Baptist but God's going to bring good from it. And so, you know, they're now, two of my girls are in Texas A&M. They're playing polo and they grew up riding horses. So that was a natural and they're loving that experience. They're back here with us for Christmas break. They're going to go into Burma with us. My son, Peter's homeschooling. But, you know, just today we went out and went for a hike and then we went horse riding and we played touch football. I thought that is cool. So that's what we're doing in our off time. And then next week, we'll be walking into Burma, and they'll be part of the relief team. So I'm just grateful, Andy, we've had this life that we can share with our kids and be in the jungle together. It's, just, it's a huge gift. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I'm grateful for that perspective. I hope some of our listeners that have children, they're wrestling with this. And I would just encourage them to, again, step out in faith as you're praying, but look for opportunities to serve as a family. Look for opportunities to have your children serving in some of these roles. Maybe it's taking a missions trip to someplace that you wouldn't naturally want to go, or maybe it would give you pause, but pray through that and look for opportunities like that. I do think that this is healthy for our kids. I think a lot of good things happen when kids are exposed to the reality of missions, to the reality of the loss, the reality of need. I think we as a church need to really examine that and be strengthened in that capacity. And David, a lot of the things that we've been talking about today 
are challenging. They're sobering. They're not always very pleasant. And so it's very possible that somebody's listening to this and they will take that baby step of action. They will step into what God has called them into, but that they're going to run into very hard times at some point on that walk, on that adventure. I've heard you say this before. I'd be curious if you wanted to expound upon it. But you said, don't question what God has shown you in the light now that you've walked into the darkness. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, I first heard that from a pastor named Don Muma in California in the 80s. He was actually, I think, a pro football player that left that life and became a, a preacher. But And so that's, that's really where I heard it first from him. And I, I think what that means is as you pray, you know, as our listeners, myself, you, we pray about certain things and inquire of God and, and give up on his altar, all our own agendas. And it helps me when I do this with my wife and kids and teammates, because it, it helps like authenticate because I always, we always get the same answer together when we lift everything up. And then, so you get your answer back. This is what we should do. You go forward in that. And then when it gets dark, when there's challenges, when the way is threatened, when all looks lost, you don't go, oh, it's dark. I can't see. We must not have heard God right. Oh, this must be wrong. No, 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 no. Go with the last order he gave you. You may not hear anything from God this moment. What's the last thing he said? He's not going to trick you. The last thing he said is, go this way. This is the light I give you. And as you go far enough down the road, you may not hear his voice. The light may be gone. It may be pitch dark. You just keep following that same direction, that same azimuth until he tells you different and he will surely tell you different. That has been my experience. I've never followed God after, you know, vetting it and, and putting up all my own agenda and really listening to him. When I had that sense of peace deep down, this is the way walk in it. I've been challenged. I've made mistakes. I've been attacked. I've had things get very dark, but he's never let me down ever. And he's never let me get lost. As I listen to him, that's, that's the miracle of following the supernatural Jesus. It's supernatural. It doesn't make math sense. It transcends all known math and science. He enables you to do and get through things that you have no idea what to do. And I, I remember, you know, there was this late, one of my lady heroes is Elizabeth Elliot. She's passed away now, but she was a great pioneering missionary in uh, S- South America. And she wrote a bunch of books. One is called Through Gates of Splendor. Another was The Savage, My Kinsman. She wrote a lot about women's issues. Let me be a woman, different things. Very sharp lady. Anyways, I was talking to her once. She said, Dave, be obedient at all cost until death. And I think that's the key of Christian life. Jesus, I will obey you until my physical death, until the death of my reputation, my finances, my security, my friendships. I give up everything. What do you want me to do? And I think when we say that to God, he always answers, always answers. And he answers differently for each of us. And that light he gives you, go. And when you can't see anymore, you just keep going in that same direction until he stops you, because he will. Yes. Well, Dave, you have really blessed us, uh, this perspective. You have challenged us. I hope that our listeners are going to wrestle through this. They're going to ponder it. They're going to chew on it. They're not just going to let this disappear into the the back of their the chaos of their day. I hope that they really reflect on all of this. And for you listeners out there that want to get a, even a, a better window into what David has been doing, there's a new documentary out called Free Burma Rangers. I've watched it. I really enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it and I bought it. So I'm glad I'm going to have the opportunity to share it with my family and others. How can our listeners go about watching that or or viewing it themselves? You can buy it on Amazon or you can go to 
our website, Freedom Rangers website. We can link you to a, a movie website. There's another site, website called Daydocs that is live streams the movie for free, actually, right now, completely free. I'll, I'll send you that link. And But anyway, it's called Freedom Rangers. You can find it on Amazon or on our website or on Daydocs website, and you can watch it free or pay for it. I wrote a book called Do This for Love, Freedom Rangers in the Battle of Mosul, which talks about the Battle of Mosul in Iraq, but also about Burma. And Jesus is all through it. And that's available on Amazon. And you can find just about anything on our website, freedomrangers.org. I, you, you didn't ask yet, but I'm going to ask you and the audience, please pray for us. Pray for me. Because as I say all these things about obeying Jesus, many times I don't. I'm a hypocrite. It's like, man, I say obey Jesus, but then why didn't I do it just now? Why did I think that thought? Why did I look at that picture? Why did I speak that rudely to my wife or my friends? And so I really want to obey Jesus. And many times they just fail completely. And I think, though, this is one of the roles of the church. The church is not here, in my opinion, to throw people out. Oh, you sin, you made a mistake, get out of here. It's, it's to say, you sinned, admit it, we forgive you, we'll try not to do it again, we're going to stick together. You know, once I was in a pretty heavy firefight and I had a new volunteer with me and five people were killed. I was one of them that was almost killed. And this volunteer wasn't though. He was kind of off on the side, but he really lost it, like lost it. And we got out of the whole thing. And about a month later after the mission, I was telling my dad, man, this new volunteer, he was like useless. He got all scared and broke down and we had to like take care of him. And I was like, good gracious. I never faced anybody like that, you know? And my dad looked at me and he said, Dave, we're just people. We're just people. And I thought, and it really put me in my place. Yeah, I'm also a sinner. I may not sin or break down like that guy does, but I got other areas I can break and fall apart in. Yeah. And so we need each other. We need each other to keep pointing each other to Jesus. We need to keep forgiving each other. You know, I love in the Lord's prayer, he says, to tells us how to pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who can't sin against me. Man, there's no scale on that. It's not like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. He made a really big sin, you know, and mine was small. No, 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 no. That's a command. And so I, I think the role of the church, and this is why I'm bringing this up to y'all, don't look at me as some great hero, because I'm not. I, me and you, dear viewers, can do and should do some heroic things. We should. But that doesn't make us heroes. We just did heroic things. We also do sinful things. Only Jesus is the real superhero that does the right thing all the time. But we're his followers. And so I think we encourage each other to tell the truth, to admit when we're wrong, not condemn each other, lift each other up again and keep going forward, building his kingdom that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Mm. All of this is is really good stuff. The documentary is Free Burma Rangers. Uh, you may have heard the audio in our intro to this conversation. Go find it. Go watch it. Do this for love. Free Burma Rangers in the Battle of Mosul. That's a book that's available. I'm sure it's an excellent read. Let's let's figure out what's going on. Let's be praying for uh, David and the Free Burma Rangers. Let's be praying for those in Burma, in Syria, in Sudan, in Iraq, in conflict zones of the world. May the church rise up. May the church be the hands and feet of Christ. May many souls be saved in these dark settings. And may we be challenged to stand up and to step out onto our own adventures as God has called us. David, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate it. I pray that you would extend our greetings and our blessings to your family, and I hope that we get to chat again before too long. 
Hey, Andy, thank you so much for this time. And may God bless you and your ministry in Jesus' name. And I'd love to meet you one day somewhere. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. Yeah, may God cross our paths before long. All right, have a wonderful evening, and we'll be in touch. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.